Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. Well, good morning, Paseo del Rey. If you are newer around here, I'm Pastor Gary, and I'm really glad to be with you. We're going to open up our Bibles this morning as we do every Sunday morning to the book of Hebrews. Uh, It's on page 1206, Hebrews chapter 4. And we open our Bibles every Sunday morning, but honestly, we don't open them to the book of Hebrews very often, right? And the book of Hebrews is a book that's written by an unnamed author or authoress. There's some thought out there that it was written by a woman named Priscilla. We don't know who wrote this book, but we know it was written to Jewish Christians, and um, uh, so that, that, this is kind of an interesting, um, uh, the, the, the author knew that the, it, his readers understood a lot about Jewish history. And because we don't understand and know a lot about Jewish history, sometimes we're a little bit um, uh, befuddled by the book of Hebrews. So we're going to dig in and take a look at the book of Hebrews here this morning. We're going to think and what we're going to be thinking about in the book of Hebrews today and, for, and next Sunday as well, we're going to be thinking really biblically, really deeply about grace, about God's grace. Now, when I, when I, first, when I say we're going to be thinking about God's grace, probably most of us, and this is good, we think about God's initial rescuing and saving grace. We are, we are all busted. We're all broken. We're all sinful and we, none of us deserve God's grace. And it's just what we sang about. And yet God sends his son and his love, and he gives us what we don't deserve. He, 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 he bears the punishment that's ours. And we think of that, and that is amazing and wonderful grace of God. And we just shout hallelujah about that grace. But grace is more than just the initial saving grace. Grace comes in different colors, different shades, different shapes different sizes in our lives. And what we're going to be looking at today is not so much the initial saving grace of God, but we're going to be thinking about the grace of God that operates in our lives today after we've been, uh, after we've been rescued by His initial grace. And we want to say in the next couple of Sundays is that God's grace is not just for saving us. Oh, it's for that, and we're so glad. But it's for sustaining us. And it's for empowering us. And it's for um, uh, uh, giving us new, new energy and new desire to live for him. And so what we want to talk about is God's grace for today and God's grace for tomorrow and God's grace for the next day. Because we don't just need God's grace at the beginning. We need it all the way through, right? And so we're going to be thinking about this whole idea of not a past tense grace, and that was a great grace, but a future tense of grace, grace for today and grace for tomorrow, because you're going to need God's grace when you get in your car and you leave church today. You're going to need his grace because you might have a little tiff with someone else in the car or um, there might be a driver that that irritates you and you're going to need God's grace. You're going to need God's grace tonight when you go home to this evening with your family. You need God's grace tomorrow when you go back to work. And so we want to talk about God's current and future grace, not just his past grace. So his sustaining, empowering, empathetic, and now grace. So we're going to do that by looking here together in the book of Hebrews, 
chapter 4. Now, when Hebrews was written, like all the Bible, there were no verse numbers, there were no chapter numbers, because I'm going to go right through a chapter, and you're going to go, you just violated a rule. Well, that rule was never there to start with, and I'm going to read part of chapter 4 and then part of chapter 5 is where we're going to study. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of what? Throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, notice there in verse 16 that everything's in the future. So it's not just initial saving grace, right? But verse 16 is talking about now that we've been saved by grace, let us approach God's throne of grace today and tomorrow and the next day and every day of our lives. And and we want to do that with confidence today so that in the future, today and tomorrow and the next day, we may receive mercy. This is mercy that God still wants to give us. He didn't just give us all the mercy at the beginning, but he continues to give us mercy through his grace so that we might receive mercy and so that we might find grace. There's more grace to find. We might find grace to what to help us in our time of need. All of our time of need is not done yet. There's time of need today, and there'll be time of need tomorrow, and there'll be time of need in our futures. And what God is talking about is this grace that is yet to come, that's here with us today, and that is for today and for tomorrow. Every high priest, here I'm violating, going right into chapter 5, every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal deal gently with those who are ignorant or going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God just as Aaron was. Now you're going, Gary, you should have stopped at the end of chapter 4. Because, man, it starts to get complex. Don't you you love the book of Hebrews? I love the book of Hebrews, but it frustrates the daylights out of me. This This is tough going. This is tough sledding, the book of Hebrews. And the reason it's tough sledding is because it's so based upon the Old Testament. The book of Hebrews is just full of the Old Testament. And a lot of us skipped class when Old Testament 101 was offered. Now, isn't it interesting You would never order a book on Amazon and get it and open the book up and go to the last chapter and just go, I'm just going to read the last chapter because the last chapter is always the best, right? But you wouldn't do that with a book that you order from Amazon because you need to read the chapters preceding so that that last chapter really makes sense so you know who the characters are, you know what the storyline, you know what the tension was, you know where the story was all pointing. But that's what a lot of us do with our Bibles. We get our Bibles. In fact, they sell Bibles that are just the last chapter, right? Just the New Testament. And yet, three-quarters of your Bible is Old Testament. 
Yeah, remember the time that, that Jesus was walking with two of his disciples. It was after his resurrection. He was walking with two of his disciples. He was walking from Jerusalem to seven miles away to a village called Emmaus. Remember that? They didn't know it was Jesus because the last thing they knew about Jesus was he was dead and buried in the grave, right? They didn't realize that it was him at first. And as they were walking along, Jesus began to do something amazing. Luke tells us what he did. He says, and beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. Now, when you read your New Testament, anytime you read your New Testament and you come across the word scriptures, that's not talking about Galatians or Ephesians or Romans, right? It's not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. What's it talking about? Anytime you come across the word scriptures in the New Testament, it's talking about the only Bible they had, the original Bible, the Old Testament, right? And so if, if, I, would, I would love to have a podcast of that seven-mile walk, how Jesus, beginning with Moses, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So Jesus started to walk his way through Genesis and says, you see there, that's talking about me. You see there, that's talking about me. And he got into Leviticus and got into this sacrificial system. He says, that's talking about me. And, and he got into Deuteronomy and Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all Moses, and then he got to the prophets and he got to the kings. And he said, all those kings, they're pointing to me. All that old sacrificial system in Exodus and Leviticus, that's all pointing to me. And wouldn't you love to have been along on that for that sermon? And what Jesus is saying is if you don't understand the Old Testament and how every, every story points to the Savior Jesus, then when Jesus shows up, he's just, just kind, of, kind of so-so. If you don't have a, if you don't have a context, uh, Emily, our youngest daughter, got married uh, three weeks ago. And a couple of days before, we were setting up the venue, and there was a, 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 there was a person that was doing the flowers, and she was arranging the flowers. And I said to her uh, the day before the wedding, I said, hey, I'm going to run over to Jack in the Box and get something to eat. Can I bring something back for you? And she said, where are you going? And I said, Jack in the Box. She said, and what is Jack in the Box? And I said, do you have a pulse? <laughs> you know, like, you don't know what, you're kidding me, aren't you? You don't know what Jack in the Box is? She said, no. I said, do you live around here? She said, no, I'm from the East Coast. She had never heard of Jack in the Box. She had no category for Jack in the Box. So if you don't have a category to understand that all of the scriptures are pointing to Jesus, then you're just going to, oh, well, he's a pretty neat guy. But when you understand that all of the Old Testament, Moses and the prophets, the whole Old Testament was given to point us to Jesus. All of them are pointing to Jesus. Um, many of you know my good friend Walt Kaiser, who was my Old Testament prophet seminary and um, He's spoken here at Paseo del Rey, and he'll be here this next summer. He'll be here in July with us one Sunday again. And uh, he, he is like probably the world's re most renowned Old Testament scholar. And when I was in seminary, some of the students got worried about him. And he would tell, Walt would tell the story on himself. He said some of the stu students got worried because it was like he didn't even know the New Testament existed. Whenever he would teach, he'd just teach from the Old Testament. A church would invite him to come for Easter, and he'd go to that church at Easter. And what would he do? He would preach out of the Old Testament about Easter. 
And a church would invite him to come to Christmas. And he'd preach out of the Old Testament. For, he just always, and they were worried. They were genuinely worried, he says, some of his students, that he didn't know about the New Testament. They would sometimes, like, write down John 3.16 on a scrap of paper. And at, be, when the class, they'd go up and they'd slip it in his briefcase, hoping that night when he got home, he'd read the scrap of paper, realize there is, there's a New Testament. Sometimes, he said, students would get those little Gospels of John, you know, little small ones, and they'd slip them under his office door so he could discover that there's a New Testament. So one day, one of the students said, Dr. Kaiser, we're really concerned about you. Hey, have you ever read the New Testament? He says, oh, yes. He says, I, I have read it. He says, it's interesting. He says, I rather like it. He says, it reminds me of the Old Testament. <laughs> because, because that's what Jesus himself said, right? The Old Testament all points to Jesus. And the whole Old Testament is pointing us to know him in his supremacy. And, if, and, 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 and here's what I want to say, just a funny little thing. Number one is don't just read the Twitter version of the Old Testament. Don't skip Old Testament 101 and 102 and 103 and 104 because the more we know our Old Testament, the more supreme Jesus becomes, the more beautiful he becomes. And we're going to see that in our passage today. Don't just skip right to the New Testament and skip over that Old Testament because it's all pointing to Jesus. So in our passage that we just read just a minute ago, we saw this term three times in the, in the passage, high priest high priest. And I just need to confess to you, I, have, I, I, I don't know of one single high priest in Chula Vista. I just, I, I've seen some people that are high, and I've seen some priests, but I have not seen a high priest in Chula Vista. They're just not there. So like, what in the world is a high priest? Well, we, we, the way we discover what a high priest is, is we, we, all, we study the Old Testament, right? To understand what a high priest is, because the passage is going to teach us that Jesus is our great high priest. So if we don't understand what a high priest is to start with, we're going to understand what a great high priest is. A high priest is not an attorney who's always like an attorney. No, he's not like an attorney. Well, he is, but that's not all that he is. Oh, he's like a judge. No, he's not like a judge. He's like a high priest. And so if you skip over, you go, oh, that's just not relevant. That's just Bible stuff. That's old Bible stuff. That's not relevant to us. Jesus is always relevant to you. It's you that's out of fashion, not Jesus or his Bible. It's me that's out of fashion. So what is this high priest? Three times in our passage, we find this term high priest. This is soaked in the Old Testament. Um, uh, so Hebrews 5 gives us a little glimpse without having to go back to, to if you really want to dig in, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy to find out uh, even more about the high priest. But the writer of Hebrews gives us a glimpse. Chapter 5, verse 1. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed. Now, I'm going to stop there. I'm going to come back. I know the sentence goes on. But I want you to see a couple of things right there about the high priest in the Old Testament. The first thing I want you to see is the high priest is selected and appointed. And, and he's, he, he's never self-appointed, and he's never democratically elected. How do we know that? Well, if you go down to verse 4, you discover that no one takes this honor on himself to become a high priest. So no one says, I'm, I'm the new high priest. Or no one goes to San Diego State and says, hey, I want to major in being a high priest. That just doesn't happen. 
This person is uh, selected and appointed, verse 4, and no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God. So it's always a God selection, a God calling. They're handpicked by God. And then he gives an example of the first high priest, there at the end of verse 4, whose name was Aaron. Aaron was the older brother of Moses. Moses, great Old Testament uh, hero, um, uh, uh, you know, just this, this, who wrote the first five books of the Bible for us. You know who Moses is? Well, it's his older brother, Aaron. And Aaron was chosen by God to be the first high priest in a long line of priests. But they're always selected by God. They're always chosen by God. And we, we need to understand that and know that you don't just volunteer for this task. Now, go back up to verse 1. Every high priest is selected from among the people. So what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that it's a human being. It's a, in, in fact, it's a male, always a male in the Bible, the high priest. It's a man. He, this high priest in the Old Testament is a, is a human being. Now, here, here's where it really gets exciting. So he's selected, chosen by God, um, called by God, the high priest is. But look at verse 1. And every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed. Now, here we get to the action. He's appointed to represent the people in matters related to God. The ESV version of the Bible says, in relation to God. Um, I, I like the NIV a little bit better here, but that's all right. Uh, so, the, the high, so, so here's this high priest, and here, here's this high priest. He's selected by God, and he's chosen to be to, by God, and his role is is to stand between, between the people who are over here. He's to stand between the people and between God in what? What does the text tell us? In matters, how does he say it there? In matters related to God. Now, I'm going to misuse the word matter here. I'm going to do it on purpose, but I think it'll help you understand. What he's doing, the high priest, is he's standing between man and God, the high priest is, because something matters to God. Something has gone wrong between God and the people, between the people of God, and it matters to God. And so he selects someone, a high priest, to stand between man and God because this thing that's happened between man and God really matters a lot to God. And so he's, he's in this role that is in the middle. Now, what does he do in the middle of this? And this is, what's so, this is what I love about this passage is the gospel of Jesus Christ is presented in chapter 5, verse 1. The whole gospel. Now, it's faint, but it's pointing to Jesus Christ. And in that road to Emmaus, these are the passages that I think, these are the kind of passages that Jesus would have told um, uh, the, those disciples about, of his being the high priest who stood between man and God. And, and so take a look at what it says here in verse, um, uh, verse, verse 1. Of chapter 5. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Now, here it is. Here's, the, here's what's the matter. We have sinned, right? We have rebelled against God. And not just one time, but we are rebels. We are repeat offenders. We keep sinning. And our sin 
has offended a holy God, a glorious and a holy God. And it has broken off relationship. And the, what God told right from the beginning, right from the book of Genesis, that when you sin, the punishment is your blood. The punishment is your death. And so here's the whole gospel in, in, um, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1, that God has provided a provision, that God provides sacrifices, and these sacrifices take the place of guilty sinners. Now, when you think of sacrifice, don't think of like um, a sacrifice fly. We just finished the World Series. A sacrifice fly or that you gave your seat up so someone else, oh, I sacrificed my seat for someone else. When you think of Old Testament sacrifices, you've got to think about blood and guts. It, it, it's not copacetic. It's not dainty. It's not wa- lily white. It is the sacrificial system is the taking of an innocent life, so to speak, innocent, the, of an animal. It's the taking of that life and it is that, is that animal pouring his guts out and bleeding to death in the place of the guilty person. So when that high priest stood between, between the people and God and he made sacrifices of animals, the blood of those bulls and goats was taking the place of the blood of those people. You see, the whole gospel is right here, right? That there's this separation that man can't fix And God provides the high priest who makes the sacrifices. And as he makes these sacrifices, God now, instead of looking at the sins of the people, all of the sins have been punished in the blood of the the goats and the calves and the bulls that have been sacrificed. Right there. When you go back to Leviticus and, and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, Deuteronomy, what you're seeing is pointing toward a better high priest, a new uh, high priest. And, 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 and I notice something really interesting about this high priest. Look, look, go down with me to verse, uh, verse 3. This is why the high priest has to offer sacrifice for his own sins as well as the sins of the people. When God designed the Old Testament high priestly system, he designed it with a flaw. He did it on purpose. And the flaw was that the high priest was a sinner too. And if you're a sinner, guess what's going to happen to you one day? You're going to die. And as you're heading to dying, you're going to start forgetting things. And you're going to get frail. And you're going to get forgetful. And you're going to get preoccupied with something else. So imagine if you have a high priest. There's only one high priest at a time. Imagine if you have a high priest and he is busy writing emails the day you sin, you sin, and he's not able to make sacrifice for your sins. Then you're dead in the water. Or imagine if the high priest wants to make sacrifice for your sins. He stands between God and man, but he forgets. He's frail. He's fragile. And he, he, he forgets or he's not able to. Or imagine if he dies and he's not able to make sacrifice for your sins. You are in a heap of trouble because it's going to be your blood for your sins. And God built this problem in that the, because the, um, uh, the high priest in the Old Testament was a human being, he too was a sinner whose sins needed to be reckoned with. 
Now, here's the interesting. So, so inherently, the Old Testament high priest was incompetent. I'll put that up on the screen here. Every high priest was woefully inadequate. And here's the curious thing, is they knew it. I think a high priest, when he would lay down in bed at night, in the middle of the night when it was dark, was thinking, I, I'm just, I'm, I, I just can't do my whole job. I just can't. I just can't be making sacrifices like 24-7. I just can't be taking bulls and goats in there, and, 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 I'm, and I'm sick today, so I can't do any today. And he just woefully. Have you ever felt like really incompetent, really inadequate? It's just the, it's the worst feeling in the world. And I think that's what the high priest. Uh, Zach, one of our sons, played uh, baseball out at Benita, and um, one time during a game, uh, they, had, they have this, behind home plate, they have this score box or, or this box. And somebody sits up there and he keeps score out on the scoreboard. He keeps scoring there and he announces the players and plays the Pledge of Allegiance or the Star Spangled Banner and stuff. And we had a guy that always did that. One day he didn't show up and the coach came out, came out to the stands and he came over. He said, Gary, you got to get up there and do it right now. And I'm like, I'd rather do a root canal on somebody. I, I, he's, oh, it's easy. Yeah, when someone says it's easy, you know what that means. So he takes me up in this thing, and there's cockroaches and spider webs, and this is awful. And I get up in there, crawl up in there, and there's this little desk kind of thing, and there's this, this kind of a control board, but it was old, and you, know, you couldn't even read any of the things that said on there. And then he had this little music thing, and he said, hey, listen, when everybody lines up, you just play the Star Spangled Banner. You just push these buttons, it'll play. And then here's how you keep the scoreboard right. And so, you know, it's, they all line up. Instead of doing the Star Spangled Banner, it was I want to hold your hand. And it was just, I mean, the whole thing was a mess. And then I'm, I got put score t- runs up for the wrong team. One, one inning, this is, this is really true. One inning, uh, there was only one out. But I had two outs up on the scoreboard. And we were up, our team was up. And we had some guys on base, and so there was a fly ball to the outfield. Well, the outfielder thought there were two outs. Why? Because the idiot in the score box had put two outs up on the scoreboard. So when he caught the ball, he just kind of dropped it and walked on in, just kind of tossed the say, We scored two runs. It was a great day. It was a great day. I, and, and the coach from the other team, this is true, the coach from the team came out, and he looked up into that, that press box. He was cursing. He was swearing. Was, yeah, right, right, right. I just kind of slipped down below, went out the back, never. Score stayed the same the rest of the game. I just felt so inadequate because I couldn't do the job. And I think that's what every high priest felt. They just, they might as well have been a brain surgeon as, as a high priest. They just, they just felt absolutely in, inadequate. They, they, they were like, how can I make sacrifice for someone else's sins when I got a mess of sins myself? And they need to be taken care of before anyone else's. And you, and you see, God did all of this. He did, he did all of this to point us to a better high priest, right? To a competent high priest, to a sufficient high priest, to the perfect high priest. So what does Hebrews 4.14 say? I, I, just, I just love it. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest, a high priest is pretty, pretty high calling, but the writer of Hebrews says that we have a, a great or a better high priest. He, he is better by far. And he says, therefore, since we have, we have a great high priest, just look at the verbiage there. It's not we had, right? But we have 
Because this is the high priest who will never die. Every other high priest is die. Anybody seen it? I told you, you've never seen a high priest in Chula Vista, and you never will. There's only one high priest, and he lives, the great high priest who lives forever. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 16 says it. says that Jesus has become a priest, not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. The life of Jesus is absolutely indestructible because he's God. And so he is our priest forever. He is far superior to any of the, I, I don't know how many Old Testament priests there were, high, high priests. I, I, no one knows. No one knows how many there were. There was this long succession. But Jesus is, the, and every one of them is dead. And Jesus, because of he lives this indestructible life, is our high priest forever. And now, now look what he says in verse 14. He says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven or has passed through the heavens, some of these Bibles, some of your Bibles will say, he's talking about the ascension of how after his death and after his resurrection, he ascended up into heaven. Remember in the Old Testament, some of you will remember that in the Old Testament, that the high priest was allowed to go into what was called the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies is where God lives. And the only, the only person allowed to go in there was God, and he was only allowed to go in there once a year, only one time a year. It was that holy of a place. And, 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 and he went in there. How did he get in there? He didn't just kind of mosey on in, just kind of, hey, God, how are you doing? He went in there by making sacrifices of the blood of goats and bulls and, and, and different kind of cattle and pigeons. And that's what allowed him to be, to be able to go into the presence of God. And he had to make sacrifice for his own sin. But Jesus, uh, excuse me, go back to verse 14 in uh, chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus has gone right into the ultimate holy of holies because the holy of holies in the book of exodus was just a picture pointing to the real holy of holies to heaven where god lives so look at what hebrews chapter 9 says jesus did not enter heaven by means of the blood of goats and calves but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood thus obtaining eternal redemption for us isn't that awesome it's not, the, it's not the blood of bulls and goats that gets, us into the, gets Jesus into the presence of God. And, and now when Jesus, when the Father looks at our sin, he doesn't see it anymore. Why? Because it's already been punished in the death of his son. You see, Jesus becomes the perfect sacrifice, the absolute innocent for the absolute guilty out of his grace and his love for us. And the Father no longer looks at any of our punished sin. How can he? It's already been punished. It's been punished not through the blood of bulls and goats and calves, but it's been punished once for all by the blood of his own son. He loves us that much, this great high priest. And he's there always. He's always there in our presence and, and the Father looks down and he sees the blood of Jesus Christ that has paid the penalty for all. So, he, so the writer of Hebrews says in verse 14, so 
So we don't have a high priest um, uh, who is unable to empathize with us in our weaknesses, but we have been, but we have a high priest who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So this remember the Old Testament high priest in chapter five? They themselves sinned. They couldn't, they couldn't resist temptation. They themselves sinned. But we have a high priest now who was tempted in every single way as every single human being could be, but without sin. Jesus, Jesus was tempted to dishonor his mom and dad. Don't you think? He was a teenager once. I bet his mom and dad were probably stricter than some of the other neighbors, and he told them, well, all the rest of the kids in my junior high class can stay out to 10. You're the only ones. Don't you, don't you think he was tempted to sin? Don't you think that Jesus was tempted to lust when that woman wiped his feet with her hair? How could you? How, he had to be tempted to lust, but he didn't. Don't you think Jesus was 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 tempted to become bitter when he washed the disciples' feet instead of them washing his feet? Man, have you have you been tempted to be bitter? Yeah, you have. Don't you think that Jesus was tempted to to um, um, bad and angry when he hung on the cross and they mocked him? He was tempted in every way like you and I are, but he didn't sin. Here's the third little thing. Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, but he defeated the monster every time. And because, because he alone is sinless, but he was tempted. It wasn't a picnic for Jesus. It wasn't easy for Jesus. He knows what it's like when sin pulls at you. He knows what it's like when, 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 when you're, you're struggling with, to make the right choice or to make the wrong choice, he knows what that li- that's like. And so you, you, you never come to him and he doesn't roll his eyes, oh my gosh, you're back again. Because he knows, what it's, he knows the power of sin and how it lures and entices us, but he never gave in once. And, 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 and as, he, as, as he empathizes with us, as he sympathizes with us, we gain new power from his grace we have one, and, and, not a, and he lives inside of us, the one who never gave in to temptation. He lives inside of us so we too can live like he did. And he, he invites us to this. What does he say here? What is, how does he say it here? Now, look, look at verse 16. Let us then, since, since he never sinned, and since he's always empathetic to us, since he always cares for us, let us then, let us then approach because you're wondering, is Gary going to talk about grace this morning? I thought that's what he said about two hours ago. Let us then, because we have this great high priest, this superior high priest who, who never sinned and yet was tempted in every way as we are and whose blood satisfied and reconciled us to God the Father, because he is this great high priest, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. I love it. It's not a throne of harshness. And that's what I fear sometimes. 
when, when I don't defeat the monster of sin, I'm, I fear his harshness. And, and yet the writer of the book of Hebrews says, no, you've got a, this, this high priest who knows what it's like to be tempted. He never, he never gave in, but he knows the strength and the power of it. And his throne is a throne of grace. I've just got this picture of a volcano. The throne is a volcano. And out of that active volcano is not lava, but it's just grace. It's just grace pouring down on every side and in every way. And instead of destroying like lava does, it, it enriches and it forgives and it heals. And, it, and it's, 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 this, it's this joy, it's this delight that comes out of the volcano. That his throne is a throne of grace. It's not a throne of, of, of harshness. So come to this throne with confidence so that we may receive mercy. That's what we need, isn't it? When we fail and when we do it again and when we're not enough, oh, we need mercy. You know, when I blow it with April, she, she doesn't say, there, there you go again. You know, it's that I don't need that. She knows I don't need that. You don't need that. You need mercy. And, you know, I, I, I think it's mercy that drives me to live more for Christ is the throne of grace. And you might find mercy and find grace, and that grace helps us in our time of need. Now, I want you to really listen carefully to this. Every one of us needs Jesus, the great high priest. Every single one of us need, every day, the great high priest, Jesus. Every one of us needs help because we have all screw up big time. We think things that we ought not to think, and we say words to people, and we say, why did I say We write things to people. Why did I say that? And we, we let God down, and we... I'm, I'm a lousy dad some days, and I'm a lousy husband some days, and I'm a lousy pastor some days, and, 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 and you're all of those things too, just like me. And I need grace, and I need mercy, and there's one place you can find it. It's in this throne of grace of the great high priest who's been tempted in every way as you are, and yet without sin. You are not condemned. You don't deserve a bit of it. And I don't either. That's what's so amazing about grace, right? Is that there's not one of us, there's not me, there's not you that deserve it. And yet, what does he say? I just, I love verse 16. Because he's this great high priest, let us then approach God's throne of grace, not feebly, but with confidence, so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. All of us need a great high priest, Jesus. I don't know what your need is today. Some of you gotten an argument on the way to church. That's why April and I drive separately. 
Never, we never get in an argument on the way to church. That's going to change here soon, isn't it, honey? <laughs> no, she says, we'll still drive separately to church. You, need, you have a need. You have a great need. Whether you were wrong or whether you were wrong, you were probably wrong. You know, some of us have some things in the back of our memory bank that still bring us shame. And we, we do all kinds of things to numb that and try to forget that and push that down. But it's still there in the middle of the night. And you've got a need. And I have a need. And that need is for a great high priest who empathizes with me in my weakness and who invites me to his throne. You are not condemned. That's what the great high priest tells us. We have a great high priest. You may have an addiction that nobody here knows about. You might struggle with just a bitter attitude and you do pretty good about covering it up most of the time. But it comes through sometimes. You may have a way of just carrying yourself that is off-putting to people. And that can be sin too, you know that? You may just you may be critical and you may be harsh and you may be you may be grumpy and pr- and pouty. You got a need, just like I have needs. And there's a place you can go and find help in your time of need. I just, I, man, I just, I want to read it again. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need.